we've been looking at one Peter, um, and uh, we got a really, um, really cool few verses that we're going to look at tonight. If you've got your Bibles open to one Peter three, um, I'm going to start by praying um, for us tonight. Father, I just, I just want to acknowledge that you are good. And Father, as I get up here and I open your word, Father, I just want to thank you that um, you are the one that is speaking and not me. I want to thank you that you are the author of life, um, that you spoke the world into existence. Um, and in your creativity, in your vision, um, in your foresight, you spoke um, a world into creation that is beautiful. I want to thank you that you know us. I want to thank you that as we sit in this room tonight, as we gather as your family, as your as your children, uh, Father, I want to thank you that we gather as a people who are known by you, um, who are loved by you. And Father, I just want to pray that we would experience that. I want to pray against fear, as has already been prayed tonight. I want to pray against lethargy. And for those of us who are coming into this room and aren't feeling you tonight, I want to thank you that you come running towards us. And so, Father, I want to pray that you would be the one who's glorified in everything that we do. And we just thank you that we are a people who can gather, who can learn from your word. And I just want to pray that you would excite us deeply in our hearts for who you are and for what you continue to do for us. In your name, amen. Well, there's some, been some really cool stuff that's been happening this week, as, as Bol and Emma have shared. Um, we also, like, we live in a world where there is this dichotomy that's going on. There's so many good things that, um, that are there to be celebrated, and there's also so many things that are um, bringing people pain, that are hurting people at the moment. Um, and we live in a world where so many people are hurting, so many people are longing for this way home. Um, and there's this famous verse, and most of us would have heard this verse, um, but in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, you read this. It says, In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So right now, I just want you to like imagine um, someone comes up to you and like, like in this picture, like they've been walking in a, in, in, a, in a time where they're in the desert in their life. They've been struggling. They've been, um, they're parched. They're thirsty. Um, and they're coming to you um, because you have this hope. You have something that they're looking at going like, like, what do you have? And this verse says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And often this verse is taught um, using this idea of logic and using this idea of a transfer of information. And by that, I mean um, preparing like what you would say to this person. How would you say it? What are the words you would use? How would you articulate the gospel in a way that would help this person understand who Jesus is? To help this person understand like who is the living God? Um, uh, sentences that would encapsulate that. And often when we think about like, uh, like being prepared, we think about this transfer of information. And if I get the transfer of information right, then that person will come to know Jesus. Or alternatively, if I don't get the transfer of information right, if I don't sum up God in the perfect sentences, then I'm going to stuff it up and I'll stuff up um, this, 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 uh, something really beautiful for this person who's in great need. And one of the things I've been looking at as I've prepared this, um, this, pa in this passage is this idea that like, always being prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have is not so much about having formulated sentences. It's not so much having a paragraph that's really, really well articulated. Um, it's about testimony. 
It's about our testimony that with the Father. It's about our testimony with God. Um, and one of the ways to think about this is, is for some of us, if this person who is in the desert came up to us and asks us, um, what, is the, what is the reason for your hope? If you picture your life and your faith as a well, for some of us, when we go down and they, we get that question from that person who is parched, who is in need of a drink, um, we sit there and we, we lower the bucket, which is our well, right? Just go with me. And we just, we have to keep lowering it and lowering it and lowering it. And finally we get to the bottom of the ground and we scrape off some mud and we bring it up and we kind of just like, we share like what we've got with this person, but like, it's not that convincing because we're not that convinced by it. It's not that convincing because we're not actually enjoying God that much. It's not that convincing because faith isn't like the best thing that's going on in our life. And we live like, as people, we have like this, this thing within us with anything that is contagious when we believe something, whether it's like a pair of shoes, whether it's a brand, whether it's your uni course, whether it's something you're passionate about, whether it's God, when you believe something and when you believe it with all your heart, um, there's something contagious about it. You get excited about it. You want to share it. Um, and there's something that is caught when we believe something, right? If we're passionate about a sport or a hobby, no matter how rare or unique it is, to the people around us, if we care enough about it, then they will start to care. They'll start to ask questions. They'll start to be interested in it. And this idea of a well, like when we enjoy God, when he is the, at the forefront of our lives, when we are deeply satisfied by him, it's like this person comes to us from the desert who is in need. They see the hope that is within us and all we do is just kind of drop the bucket in and just naturally this overflow happens um, and this person catches what is going on in our life. And what I'm talking about is this idea of testimony. You can't fake it. You can't fake story. You can't fake relationship. And this idea that what we're called to do in regards to giving, being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the reason of the, for the hope that you have is this idea of just testimony. It's sharing about our experiences with the Father. It's saying to someone, let me tell you about the Father. Let me tell you about what happened this week. Let me tell you about his faithfulness in the pain that I'm going through. Let me tell you about the way he held my hand as I'm walking through the valley um, over the past few months. Let me tell you about his mercy. Let me tell you about his grace. Let me tell you about his kindness. Let me tell you about the miracles that I've seen over the last few months. Let me tell you about the ways that God has moved in my family. Let me tell you about the ways that he has freed me. Let me tell you about the way that I am being excited to follow him. This idea of belief, it's, in, it's contagious. And one of the things that we're called to do and the thing that's been really hitting me over the last year is this idea that our faith is not just us. God loves his church. He really values his church. God really values community. God is community. He's not just one, like he is three in one. He really values community. We need each other so much more than often we recognize or we think. We live in a time that is so individualistic. And so often we treat faith like that. But the truth is we need each other. We need to spur each other on, as the writer in Hebrews says. We need to encourage each other. We need to inspire each other. And the way in which we will do that is by enjoying God. The way in which we will do that is by speaking faith over each other in our everyday. And the way we will do that is by sharing testimony with each other. If you look at the person to your left or right, just do it now. Look at him, weirdly, like Polks is doing. Use him as the example. 
Like in 10 years, I want you to picture this person in 10 years, right? How have they aged? Are they going all right? Some of you have aged terribly. In 10 years, have we encouraged the person to your left or to your right more in their faith? Do they have a faith that is more contagious? Do they have a faith that is deeper? Do they have roots that go down deeper? Are they enjoying God more in 10 years? Because we have this interesting idea in 2018 that getting older is bad, that we want to fight aging. We want to do everything we can to fight aging. But when you think about it, aging in God and um, growing in God is the most beautiful thing. We should be more excited in 10 years. We should be more mature in 10 years. We should be more free in 10 years. There should be more of us dancing in 10 years. There should be more of us who are proclaiming God's miracles in 10 years. The beautiful thing about faith is that we are not going downwards. Like we are not like losing something. We are constantly gaining something when we're allowing God to grow in us on a daily basis. And our job as a church, our job as a family is to help each other in that. We are not a group of individuals. We are a family and we are called to guard each other in that. We are, as Bol talked about two weeks ago, a priesthood of all believers. And this idea in 1 Peter is really, really important because what it means is that all of us are coming with something unique and something different, but we are all unified by the Spirit. One of the things that when these guys did the lights, like nearly a year ago now, I don't know how long, the first thing that hit me was like this beautiful picture of what was in front of us. Like, I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's really pretty. It's really good. Um, but the thing that I'm always reminded of every time I step foot in this room, every time that we meet together as feast, is that is beautiful because it's a collection of all these individual lights that make up the one body. Um, it's this collection of every, every single person, every sing, single little light coming together to make t- together something that is really beautiful, that by themselves, those lights kind of suck. They're really small. But when they're together, they make together something really beautiful. Now, we don't suck. Some of us do. We don't suck, right? We're unique. We're made in the image of God. Each one of us is different. Each one of us is bringing something that is so much more so unique. And if this was an accurate picture, every color would be different. Every light would be a different shape. Um, And it would make something that's even more profound than what is above me, right? The church is, we are a family and we are a group of people who come together with something so unique, something so beautiful. Everyone comes with a different personality. Everyone comes with a different way of viewing the world and viewing God. And together, we are able to encourage each other so much more than if we were just by ourselves. One of the things God's been teaching me profoundly over the last few years, when I was 18, I had, like he taught me about grand vision, right? One of the things he's been teaching me over the past few years is this idea of the mundane and the small and the beautiful. The everyday little moments where he ushers in his kingdom. And we've been seeing this in animals recently. I could give you a whole sermon on animals, like I really could, and just how my boys are enjoying animals at the moment. But each one of us sees things differently, right? And when we come together as a family, as we come together tonight, each one of us sees something different. Me and Adzi were driving home um, the other week and Eli had been having, he's been having a tough month. Um, and we're driving home and we, we get home. I walk straight up my stairs. And I'm, I'm going up my stairs and next minute Adzi turns to me and goes, man, there's a turtle on your driveway. I'm like... I turn around and there's a turtle on my driveway. We live in Glenory. We're on a hill. Um, there's not a, there's not many great water sources that this turtle is coming from. I'd, I'd love to know how this turtle got from where it did to my driveway. But regardless, this turtle was 
not in a good place. It was dying. Uh, it was really dry. And I, I'm not an animal expert. I've seen enough David Attenborough documentaries to know that's not ideal. And so um, we went and got the boys, took them, and they just lost it, right? They come down. There's a turtle on their driveway. We fill up the wheelbarrow. I thought that was pretty ingenious. Fill up the wheelbarrow. And for the next 24 hours, the boys just enjoyed this turtle, right? They loved it. They kept it alive. They fed it. Eli would have picked it up like a hundred times, would have annoyed it so much. Um, but for 24 hours, they just enjoyed this turtle. Next day, we did the right thing. We took it down to Burning Lane, catch and release, um, and the turtle lives on. But it was this moment, right, where my kids were so blessed over this 24 hours. They were so incredibly blessed. They'd been having a, a pretty rough time, and this turtle brought them so much joy. Now, was that chance that that happened? I'm learning to believe more and more that wasn't chance, that, that God is constantly doing things in unique and creative ways that, that are there to bless us. The thing that blows me away constantly is, for instance, in this story, I would have missed it. I walked straight past the turtle. The person who saw the turtle was Adkatel. He's the one who had the eyes to see this little, this little tiny turtle that was dying, and he's the one who blessed my family in a really beautiful way, but a really simple way for 24 hours, right? He saw something that I couldn't see. Yesterday, we were at home and um, got to five o'clock. We'd had a really good day, hung out with the boys, had a you know great day with the family. And I was about five o'clock and I'll be honest with you, I was getting a little bit grumpy. I was ready to put the boys down, have a bit of solo, have a bit of solo time, spend some time with Ames. And, um, and Amy just turns and she's like, let's go catch tadpoles down in the, in the creek down the road. And, and um, there's no way the turtle, by the way, went up the hill up to our house from this creek like it's not possible just so like yeah just so you know um anyway we go down to this creek and um anyway in my head I'm like I don't want to go catch tadpoles I don't want to go down the creek I couldn't think of anything worse to be honest than going catching tadpoles was my mood yesterday afternoon it's pretty grumpy anyway the boys are all keen for it so we go down and we catch these tadpoles Amy's fully into it we catch these 10 tadpoles take them home and, um, and then we get home and he's like, I need you to go down and get more water. So down I go, get, go get the pond water. Cause you can't put them in like, you know, normal tap water. You bring it, I bring the water back and I'm sitting there and like the boys enjoyed it, but I just wasn't that into it. Right. Um, anyway, for the next, for like the rest of the night, the boys just stared at these tiny little black things that were going around this, this container. They were fascinated by them. They couldn't get over the idea that these little things will turn into frogs. Like these things will grow legs, they'll turn into frogs. Turns out we looked it up. They can take six weeks to turn into frogs or they can take nine months. And either way, we have to look after them. Um, but the boys are just staring at these little black dots that are going around this container, right? I sat there yesterday afternoon with the worst attitude. We went down and caught these tadpoles. We caught the tadpoles. I had a terrible attitude. We bring them back and I just had this moment where I was just reminded just so clearly the boys were seeing something I wasn't seeing. The boys were fascinated by something that I wasn't looking at. And they had this like contagious, this beautiful little picture of just um, this childlike view of the world, right? They were so excited about these little black dots um, that were there. And they, like yesterday, there was this moment in my family where we wouldn't have blessed my kids if Amy hadn't done that. She saw something I didn't see. We, I wouldn't have enjoyed these tadpoles at all if my boys weren't there because they saw something that I could not see. The priesthood is where we gather together and we use our unique passions and our gifts. We use our personalities. We use the different aspects of who we are to encourage each other and inspire each other in things that we can't see. It's Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
There are things that you bring that no one else in this community can bring. Last Sunday, I was deeply encouraged because I was sitting over there before church at like four o'clock and this moment, like this beautiful moment where I picked up my word and I just felt really strongly, read Jeremiah. So I read Jeremiah 17 to 22 and I just sat in this passage, 17 to 23, and I just sat in this passage and was just fascinated by it. I haven't read Jeremiah in ages and for this week, I've sat in it all week, but um, I was fascinated by this passage. Anyway, I got to got to the end of feast and I was walked down to the car park. It's like seven o'clock at night, and um, Paulie's about to leave. And I'm, as he's as he leaves, he's leaving. He winds down his window. And he's just like, oh, gee, I read a good passage this morning. I'm like, oh, what did you read? And he's like, Jeremiah. I'm like, oh, I read Jeremiah too. And turns out, not only did we read Jeremiah on the same day, like we're all crazy, we read the exact same passage, the exact same two verses, and we were fascinated by the exact same thing um, in all of Scripture, right? We didn't both look at the app like it wasn't the, the, the verse for the day. Like both of us were drawn to exactly the same thing, right? And God was saying, like God's saying something to us in that. Paul is 150 years old. I'm a fresh-faced 25-year-old. Like the way he works in that is really, really beautiful in bringing the generations together. Um, but that's like the, you need the priesthood. You need the priesthood to see things. You need the priesthood to see miracles. And for me and Paul to see something on the same day, like the chances of that happening, it's like, what is it? Like, you know, shuffling a, car, a deck of cards 52 times. You know what I mean? Like, like the chances of that happening aren't, they're not, it's not going to happen. And so like we need the priesthood. We need each other. Yeah, you get, we get it. Yep. Okay, good. Wednesday night, I just want to say like, I'm proud of us as a community. Um, we're about to jump into the passage, um, but Wednesday night, this is all like really deeply linked to this passage. Wednesday night, I just want to say I'm really proud of us um, because we came together as a family with morning and with night um, to worship and pray together. And in that, we came together to guard each other. Um, we came together to help each other to see what we cannot see as individuals, right? Um, Hannah, for instance, paints this picture, put it on Facebook, gets heaps more likes than anyone else who posts on Face page. Um, but she and and rightfully so, she posts this picture, and it's this beautiful picture of this this hand breaking this chain, and it's just this idea of freedom. Um, and it just like you see that picture, and you're like, yes, that is what the night was about. Um, we all came together as mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, and we came together to guard each other and to cover each other. We came together to liberate, to set the captives free, as Dan talked about last week. We came to, together to speak life into each other's lives, and we did that with young and old. And one of the things I, was, um, I really feel urged to remind us of is this idea that when we are talking about being prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have, one of the ways in which we do that is that we guard each other. We honour each other, we protect each other, and we raise each other up. I was listening to a podcast this week, and the podcast was with this, say, I reckon he was about 70 or 80 years old, um, and he was a, he was a, a veteran for the, from the Vietnam War. Now, for those who know much about the Vietnam War, it's a terrible war. Um, really horrific things went down in the Vietnam War. But this guy gives his story, and the story is amazing. He's a pilot. He gets captured by the Vietnamese, um, and he breaks his back. Um, he's got all these infections all over his body. He can barely walk, and he has to walk for like this 30-day hike. He has to walk it. 
Um, he knows that the prisoners he is with, he's watching every day as the prisoners who stop walking, who fall to the ground, get shot and executed. He's got two kids at home, a four-year-old and a four-month-old. And the thing that drives him more than anything are his two children. So step after step, day after day, he just keeps walking and walking and walking. Um, he loves his kids. You can hear him even as a, as a 70-year-old, 80-year-old talking about his now 50-year-old son. And you, like, you catch it, right? You believe it. Um, he loves his kids. And so he's this Vietnamese, he's this American soldier who's been captured in the war and he gets to a point where he describes it. He's, a very, he's got so much willpower, but his legs won't move anymore. He's got so much willpower. He knows that when he stops walking, he will die um, and he collapses to the ground and his body just shuts down. He can't move anymore. He can't keep going. And he's, his captor comes over, puts a rifle to his head and says, get up. And he can't move. He tries, he can't move. And his captor does it again, get up, um, puts the rifle right in his face. And as, as he does that, the guy can't get up. Um, one of the South Korean prisoners who was there comes over, pushes the gun to the side and picks him up. And for the next three days, carries him on his back um, until this guy could get penicillin. Um, this guy like quite literally saved his life and the reason he saw his kids again the reason that he's now an 80 year old veteran who has written some incredible books and um, is is quite a profound man the reason that he is alive is because someone that he didn't really know stepped in and carried him on his back for three days right it's profound it's a profound sacrifice this is a man who would have been really suffering himself this is what we do when we get together and we guard each other this is what we do when we get together and we pray for each other. This is what we do when we get together and we pray for each other's workplaces, we pray for each other's families, we pray for each other in the ups and in the downs. It's when we come together as a family and for some of us, there's times in our life where we can't walk anymore. There's times in our life where giving a, an answer for the hope that we have is really, really tough. There's times where some of us are just running along and it's the easiest thing in the world. And one of the things that we are called to do as a family is to guard each other. It's to guard each other in the ups and the downs. It's when some of us can't keep walking. It's when some of us are struggling. It's when some of us are not feeling it anymore. It's when some of us are struggling with conviction that the rest of us stand in front, pick each other up and walk with each other. Yeah? It's where we guard each other. And on Wednesday night, the beautiful thing was this picture of young and old coming together and guarding each other speaking life over each other, speaking faith over each other, the Spirit giving birth to the Spirit. Because the thing with testimony, the thing with giving an answer for the hope that we have is this isn't a memorized liturgy. It's not an exchange of information. And I think that's what we've been taught a lot when it comes to salvation. It's an overflow of our relationship with the Father. It's an overflow of the Spirit living within us. And it should be the most natural, beautiful thing in the world. The thing we're looking at tonight in 10 minutes is this idea that we are called to love God vertically. We're called to enjoy Him. We're called to be satisfy Him above all else. But then we're also called to love others, to love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. The vertical and the horizontal. How we love our neighbor, how we love each other is absolutely everything. In John 13 verse 35, one of Bowles' favorite passages by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's like the absolute crux of what mission is. If we want to impact the world, if we want to impact Dural, if we want to impact your, your high school or your workplace, one of the markers of that is this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
A disciple really simply was a follower of Jesus. It was someone who followed um, their rabbi everywhere. And in this case, followed Jesus everywhere he went. They picked up everything that he did. The disciples, if Jesus went to the laundry, they went to the laundry. If he went fishing, they went fishing. They learned everything from him. The mundane and the huge. The really small moments and the grand moments of philosophy. And the disciples picked up absolutely everything that Jesus taught. And when Jesus wasn't around, the disciples were the ones who were his representatives. And it is incredibly profound that we now carry the Spirit and we are his disciples. We are his representatives in the world in which we live. So how we live together is profoundly important. Because at the very crux of mission, the world is looking at his disciples. And Jesus is saying, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way in which you love each other. By the way in which we enjoy each other. By the way in which we love each other and guard each other and get along. So we're given a really practical, really practical list of what this looks like in 1 Peter 3 verse 8. It says this, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers, be compassionate and humble, and do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So really simply, right? If John 13 verse 35 is true, and I think we've talked about this verse a lot and rightly so, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, right? If you're Satan... If you're the enemy, what is the one thing that you will do? What's the easiest way to attack attack the church? What's the easiest way to attack this line of thinking, this verse, this truth? It's for this not to be true. The easiest thing, the best thing that Satan wants to do, one of his main aims is to get the church not to love each other. It's to get the family to not get along. It's to get the family to fight and squabble and find irritations with each other and find reasons not to love each other. Because when he does that, the world in which we live goes, that church is no different. That church is no different than my workplace. In fact, my workplace does that better than the church. My sports team does that better. I did better community down where I play football. The best thing that Satan can do is get us to not love each other it's get us to find irritations with each other. It's get us to have a really small vision of each other's lives because when he does that, the world looks at us and goes, oh, I'm not attracted to that at all. I don't want to be a part of that at all. And so we're given this, this, uh, these, uh, these little things, these rhythms that we're called to have when it comes to relationship with each other, according to Peter. The first one is that we're called to live in harmony with one another, actively, intentionally, working in harmony together. The way you do this is like to be reminded of the fact that we are united by God. We're united by the Spirit. We're united by Jesus. We're not a ministry. We're not a club. Um, we are united by who He is. And so what that means is that we have all this permission to be completely different. We have all this permission to be unique because we've been reborn into a new family. The thing that unites us as we come together is Jesus. It's not hobbies. It's not things that we like to do. It's not things that we find fun. It's the fact that we come together united by Jesus and his mission for the world and the way in which he has um, born us again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. We are people of the spirit. We've been reborn. 
And Jesus' prayer in John 17, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. And they, may they be brought to complete unity so that the world that you sent me to um, and have loved, even, no, sorry, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even, even as you have loved me. How we get on, how we live in harmony one another is profound, right? It's in, in, integral. We did the Moravians um, like a year ago, a year and a half ago, and we did that for eight weeks. And the story of the Moravians 300 years ago is this incredible story of, uh, of mission. Basically, in short, you had this group of people come in who were refugees, 200 people in total. Um, they came in and this guy named Count Zinzendorf, um, Zinzi as I like to call him, um, brought them in. He was a count. He was a rich guy, and he was a past. He wanted to be a pastor, um, and, and later becomes a pastor. He brings these two hundred people in, and um, and gives them a home. These guys are refugees. This is seventeen twenty seven. They're oppressed, but the thing that marks them is that they're all fighting. They're all finding reasons not to get along. These are refugees. Like these are guys who, like in many ways, they should be the one. They should be like united in many ways to a common cause because they're really struggling to find a home. And yet these guys are together and they are arguing. What are they arguing about? They're arguing about everyday things. Money. Um, theology was massive for them. Little things in, in, in regards to theology. They just kept fighting about, kept niggling about. Um, and, and Zinzendorf does this amazing thing. So what happens is this, um, they call it the Moravian Pentecost in 1727. So the spirit falls, um, 200 of these guys just are completely transformed and they go on to shape like modern mission throughout the world. So they send out, by the end of Count Zinzendorf's life, they send out 226 missionaries, um, which is absurd. Um, they... They started after this Moravian Pentecost, influenced all the people there and all the children there. Um, they started this movement of 100-year prayer. So for 24 hours a day, um, they prayed for their family. They prayed for the Moravians. They prayed for their brothers and sisters, right? Um, they were a church that is literally the same sort of size as us and morning combined. And they prayed nonstop for 100 years, 24 hours a day, right? That's huge. We did that for a week and most of us were like, like, thought it was incredible. A hundred years. They sent out 226 missionaries. 22 of the 29 missionaries, the first ones died while they were missionaries, right? These are people who were just blown away by this Pentecost and they influenced some of the greatest leaders throughout the 18th century. Some of the greatest preachers, some of the greatest writers, these people deeply influenced them because they had this faith that was contagious. Now, the reason this story is really important and really profound for the church is like so many reasons why it is. But the thing that Count Zinzendorf does is just incredible. He has this group of 200 plus people who are get, not getting on. They're niggling at each other. They're not loving each other. And so he meets with every single one of them. He goes into their households. He meets with their families. And he says, I want you to lay aside the differences that you have with each other. I want you to lay aside the things that aren't important. And the thing I want you to unite over is the gospel. I want you to unite over Jesus. I want you to unite over who he is. 
And as he did that, they came together and there was this Moravian Pentecost that happened three days after he does this. And you see this result where modern mission is completely like we are impacted because of what the Moravians did. And they went to all these unreached people groups around the world and had incredible influence. That happened because you had a leader who called people into unity and called people to live in harmony together because they are called, we are called not to get along because we enjoy the same hobbies. We're called to get along because we all believe in Jesus, because we all carry the Spirit of God. Live in harmony one, with one another. It goes on to say, be sympathetic. One of the things that's easy is it's easy for us to hold grudges with each other. It's easy for us to have issues that, that happen that arise, things that just annoy us, right? We all get stuff wrong. We all don't communicate at different times. There might be times where we don't invite someone to something. There might be some, some times where we actually really hurt someone else. We might not mean to or we might mean to. Um, there's times where we, we offend each other. It's what a family is. Be sympathetic. One of the things that like, I'm learning more and more is to ask the question, why is it that we are doing what we're doing? Why is it that someone is acting the way they're acting? I remember when me and Amy, years and years ago, and for the social workers who were in the room, now like, this will be just the most normal story. But I remember when me and Amy went to this um, foster care seminar and we're in the, in the foster care seminar and this lady gave her testimony. She'd been a carer for a long time and she gave this testimony about a girl that she was looking after. Um, the girl came into their house and had been living with them a while and the pattern they noticed was um, food just kept going missing from the fridge. And over and over, over, food just kept going missing from the fridge and she'd go to the shop, she'd buy all this great food and it would go missing from the fridge. And she started to realise, like, obviously um, the girl that she's looking after is stealing it and she, she got really angry. She was sitting there going, how ungrateful. Like, I bring this girl into my house and she just steals my food in the middle of the night. Um, this is a, a, you know, a carer who obviously cared and obviously loved. She's cooking good meals. She's sitting there just going, like, why is this girl doing this? Like, how dare she? And she shared in this, and I remember this so clearly, she shared, like she went to get angry at this girl and then she went into her room one day, she opened the cupboard and there was all the food. Um, and this girl had been storing this food up, right, over and over and she just realised um, this girl was storing it up because she didn't trust where her next meal would come from. She'd been let down so many times in her life. She'd had so many carers abandon her. She'd had so many moments where she thought she'd have a meal and then she wouldn't have a meal. And so that she just started this habit of when she saw food, she just started collecting it because she didn't know if that would be her room the next day. She didn't know if that would be the table where she would eat the next day. So she started collecting the food. You get how like understanding a story and understanding why someone is doing something and acting the way they are is really, really important. We so often jump on the get angry at something or get frustrated at something or write someone off about something or judge someone because of something. And so often we're forgetting that there is a why behind why someone is acting. We don't know what is going on in their household. We don't know what their, fa their parents are up to. They, they might be coming from a household that looks really good, but on the inside there is just so much brokenness in there. This might be a person. They might have grieved you badly um, at your uni. They might have said stuff about you. They might have gossiped about you. They might have done stuff to you that you're like, that's really wrong and it might be. Um, but there might be stuff where they're going home or they're getting bullied or there's stuff going on in their life that's not okay and all they're doing is just reflecting what they've grown up and what they've seen. It's not justifying it. It's not saying it's okay, but we are called to be people who understand the why. When it comes to loving our family, when it comes to doing life together over the, the long haul, over the 5, 10, 20 years, 
it is really important that we become a people who, who aren't offended easily. In the church, we, are, we get really offended over really minor things because Satan is really good at niggling away at us, at lying to us, at telling us why we shouldn't get on with that person, at telling us why that person doesn't like us, at telling us why we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't be loving the people around us. He's, he's an expert at it. I want to encourage us to do relationship really well. This will be the marker for us as a community going forward if we're to mature. It's when we have issues with each other, which we will, it's when we're struggling with each other. It's when Satan is getting good at niggling with each other. We sit there and go, come on, I just want to get a coffee with you. I just want to do a relationship with you. I want to talk to you about this thing that you've offended me by because like I'm carrying it and I want to let it go. Oh, like you're, you're doing that to me. You're not meaning to. And like, um, that's what's going on for you. Oh, I'm really sorry. Let's journey with that together. Let's pray for each other. Let's walk together. And this idea where we are called to understand each other, we're called to walk together is really important. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. We talk about that as a lot, so I'm going to fly through that. Be, cash, be compassionate and humble. We talk about that a lot as well. So finally, I'm going to finish on this, this final one. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. It's a really hard one. We don't live in a time like Peter is talking about where persecution is rampant. That's not the season that we live in. But we are really good at returning evil with evil or insult with insult. When someone offends us, we're really good at getting on the front foot and offending them back. It's what children do, right? Riv, our two-year-old kid, he's growing up and he is little like he can hold his own and he has to. But we, I noticed the other day, like Eli kicked him and sometimes Eli kicks him and means to, but Eli kicked him the other day and didn't mean to, right? And, and Riv just turns at him and gets his little bear claws out, and he goes on the attack, right? And he, he bites, and he, he, he claws. There he's like, that's his, you know, that's what he does. And he goes to attack Eli, and I yell at him, I'm like, Riv, don't. And he looks at me, just eye to eye, and you can see him processing, and he goes, stuff you, Dad. Turns, and he just goes at Eli, right? He just full-on goes at him. Um, he was repaying the evil that he copped, and he had to give it back. There was no, he had a moment where he could have been mature, no, nah, wasn't having a bar of it. He, he turned on the attack and he got Eli, he bit him, went for him. It was, I was really proud of him, to be honest. Um, but that's what a two-year-old does. The thing is, for some of us, we're 20 years old, we're 40 years old, we're 60 years old, and we're really good at doing the same thing. We're really good at repaying evil with evil or insult with insult. And yet we're told that the kingdom is this beautiful city on a hill. We're told that the kingdom is this Sermon on the Mount where we're called to live out a life and live out a testimony that is radically different than the world is living out. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is our heritage, right? This is what our rabbi does. This is what our father does. Jesus on the cross, when he's being persecuted, when he's been killed, when he has a crown of thorns around his head, and he's the only one in this who has the power and authority to just with a word, um, click, it, or with, click his fingers or with a word, just get off that cross and smite everyone. He's the only one that can actually do that. And yet his response, he's the way in which he repays evil with evil or insult with insult is to pray for them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. This idea of repaying evil or repaying insult or repaying anxiety or repaying whatever it is that you're copying with blessing is one of the most beautiful ways that we will usher in the kingdom of heaven in really practical ways wherever you are. 
whether it's in your family, whether it's when you go to uni, whether it's in your friendships, whether it's when you're in the church, how do you repay the anxiety of the world um, in a really beautiful and a really pr- profound way? Verse 9, it says, because to this you were called so that you will inherit a blessing. When this is how we live, when we get the vertical right, when we love each other, when we guard each other, um, when we are compassionate and humble, when we are sympathetic, when we repay evil and insult with with blessing, we ourselves will receive blessing. We ourselves will be increased with joy. We ourselves will receive something really beautiful. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have shown us so clearly what it looks like to enjoy you, to enjoy the Father and to love the world in which we live. And Father, as we, as we walk away tonight, I just want to pray that you would help us to know that we are deeply loved. And I want to pray that you would help us to be really honest. For those, of the peop- for those people in our lives that we're struggling with, we've got little niggles with, little annoyances, Father, I want to pray that you would um, help us to love them, help us to have a greater vision for their lives. I want to pray that you would help us to be people of grace and mercy, that we would be known and marked by our kindness. And Father, I just want to pray that we wouldn't walk away tonight just leaving that. I want to pray that we would be a people who are doing business with you, who are handing over to you the things that we carry. And Father, I want to thank you that when you died on the cross, you paid the price for everything that we carry. You ushered in a new kingdom. You ushered in a new life and we get to enjoy that. So Father, I just want to thank you for this family. I want to thank you for the love that you have for this family. And as we move forward as a family, I want to, help, I want to pray that you would help us to love each other deeply. In your name, amen.